How many's ever watched, uh, how many likes game shows on TV? Kind of like, you know, Wheel of Fortune and, you know, maybe Jeopardy and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a little clue and then you can holler out what you think this game show is. Survey said, what? Family Feud. That's right. Family Feud. 100 people surveyed. The top five answers are on the board. And then you get this you know, the top five answers. And some of them are crazy ridiculous and some are like, yeah, that's what I would have said. And you ever kind of holler at the TV like, the number one answer is this, you bonehead, and they're not getting it, you know? You know, a, a couple, not a, actually a couple of weeks ago, I started realizing how much surveys there are in our world. Have you realized in our society how surveys have become the, the thing? Um, it's been going on for years, it feels like, but the last couple of weeks, it's felt very much in my face. Uh, Kelly and I went to a restaurant uh, this past week, and you know those little kiosk things that they have on the tables where they want you to pay and all that? I, I, I fully avoid those. I tried to ignore them. Uh, just don't like them. I, I'd like to just, you know, do it the, the old-fashioned way. But, and I, so I was giving the lady, you know, the payment, and she says, well, if you can... If you could, I, she says, I could do that, but if you could, I'd rather you just use the kiosk thing because that way you can do a survey on how good I did today. And I went, oh, here we go again, you know? And, and I get emails. If I ever go get service anywhere from anything, yeah, I had a, our, a flat tire on our car a week or so ago and had a nail in it. And so I went to get it fixed. And before I pulled out of the parking lot, I had an email pop up that says, hey, how'd we do? And I feel like, good grief, does everybody need that much affirmation in their lives? I promise you, it's kind of getting ridiculous out there, right? Now, what we've got going in our world today, this kind of turned into this whole thing for me of a, of a message. I began to look in God's Word about some things and realize that there's really what I am going to call an, ad an addiction to affirmation. We have an addiction to affirmation, and that's actually what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, by the way, those surveys that you get, have you found, and they're supposed to improve customer service. Is that, have, has anybody found things getting better out there? You know, you get these surveys, and they think, man, they're going to be great next time, and it's just as bad or worse on these surveys. Um, they're really the modern-day equivalent, these surveys, of remember when you was a child, some of you might remember this, when you were in kindergarten, first grade, second grade especially, where you would have your name on a piece of, you know, cardboard, like a paper or whatever, or posted to the wall. You'd have your name as well as the rest of the students. And if you did your homework, and if you participated, and if you did, what would you get? A star, wouldn't you? And boy, the goal was, man, it's get all them stars. I have more stars than you. I have more stars than you. Look, I have two more stars than you because I did my homework. I participated in class. And wasn't the goal to get... Those are great motivators, actually. There's nothing wrong with them. But the fact is, they can also be a dangerous trap. Because the very thing that serves to motivate us also, if we're not careful, feeds our egos and makes us prideful. And today, as we as children and teens and adults, we have other forms of gold stars, you know what they're called? They're called thumbs ups. They're called likes. They're called clicks. They're called subscribes. On our social media pages and all throughout anything that we involve with, we crave this positive complimentary comment on our social media. And we hope for kind and happy emojis regarding our posts and podcasts or blogs. We want little smiley faces. You're so cute. That's such a clever comment. Oh, I love you. But, you know, a lot of times when you think about it, our posts are many times bragging <laughs> or silly stuff like, I just brushed my teeth. And I like the flavor of mint. How about you? Do you like the mint flavor or do you, survey said, you know, I brush my teeth three times a day. Every, have you ever noticed people, on, I'm, not, I'm not on social media, but I've heard about this and that how people just do the silliest things. And then they take a selfie. Look what I'm doing. So what? I do that all the time. 20 years ago before social media, that's what I just normally did, right? But now we have to have affirmation for it. Good for you. You brushed your teeth. It's ridiculous. So we brag and we talk about silly stuff. We posture, we embellish, we, and we present ourselves in the best possible light all the time. By the way, who wants to be looked at poorly? None of us want to be looked at poorly, and I get that. So we boast about our best traits 
and we make sure that our photos are taken with the most flattering filter and taken on our best side. Wait a minute, that's my best side right there. Yeah. It's a false and fake lifestyle that serves as a type of opioid to our souls that feeds our ego and strokes our insecurities. Have you ever thought about that? There is in our world today what I am calling an addiction to affirmation. And it's a building up. What it is, it's a building up of the flesh at the expense of a maturing of our spirit man. We feed our flesh, we push our spirit man aside, and it's an epidemic, I believe, that is diminishing our relationship with Jesus and it's ruining our witness with him for others. Those who fall into this trap are being groomed to require this to happen in their lives at the expense of everything else. We have a generation that is being raised to be stroked and affirmed. And even though our current generation has invented many more avenues to exploit it, you realize that this particular sort of affirmation has been around forever? In fact, I want you to keep in mind that Satan fell from heaven because of this very thing. He says, look at me. He says, I'm the most beautiful angel in heaven. And he was. He says, I deserve and desire to be praised and applauded. And so he tried to step in the place of God. But here's the fact. Satan wanted the praise and worship that God was getting. But God will share his glory with no one. Not Satan. Not you. Not me. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Now, it doesn't mean that God is some sort of egomaniac. He, he, it doesn't mean that at all. It, it just means that he knows, because he made us, he knows that we can't handle the glory and the praise that belongs to him. That praise and that glory, that stroking, that affirmation, it will go to our heads and we will turn into a monster. Only God can handle the praise because only God deserves the praise. It's a subtle temptation And we may not even realize that we've fallen into its trap. But today, I believe the Lord would have us examine our hearts in this area because praising God and giving Him credit keeps our heart where it needs to be. And as I've said repeatedly, everything with God is a heart issue. Everything in our relationship with Him and in our walk with Christ is a heart issue. And our hearts need to be and stay, remain humble. So let's look at today what the Bible says about boasting. I I had no idea before I started studying this how much the Bible talks about boasting. It talks a lot about boasting. And you don't really ever hear it preached too much from the pulpit, probably because there's a lot of toes that are going to be stepped on. You know, and I've been praying that the Lord this week said, Lord, please help me to speak the truth in love. Help me as I'm pointing one finger to the congregation to have thee make sure that these three fingers are pointing back to me because I'm just as bad as anybody else. We all have the propensity to boast. Now, did you know that there's some wrong ways to boast, but did you also know that there's some right ways to boast? The Bible talks about a couple of good ways to boast, and we'll look at that for a, a second. But first, I want us to look at uh, the ways that are the wrong ways to boast. But before we even begin with that, this is what I want to make sure of. I want to point out that many of us today, for many of us today, this particular message, hearing this message today will automatically make us think that this is for someone else. When I said, hey, today we're going to talk about boasting, some of you went, that's for you. Now listen up. Don't you dare fall asleep. The fact is, our pride doesn't want to admit that we're boastful. So we turn that spotlight away from us and we point it to others elsewhere. We're not self-aware. We can't read the room as they say. And there's really some narcissism that's involved with that in our lives where we won't allow us to see that. And in fact, we have these tendencies to a greater or lesser degree living in and acting out through every single one of us. On a scale, some of us are not having a problem with this too much. On the other end of it, some of us can't even see that we're that way 100% of the time. But the fact is we all deal with this. Heaven forbid that we admit that we're frail. Heaven forbid that we admit that we're faulty. Heaven forbid that we admit that we're flawed individuals. It's so much easier to brag about ourselves It's so much easier to also criticize others. But we all are in 
a boastful type of people. We're all wired that way to start off with in our lives. We're all broken. We all have this tendency, as I said, starting with me. So as with everything, as I said a moment ago, it's a matter of the heart. So I want to encourage you today to open up your heart right now and be honest with yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to show you some things that might be hard to admit but will be so very helpful to you if you will confess and then repent and allow the Lord to do a work in your heart today. Would you do that? Would you do that? So I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I say these things today because I want us to be better. I want us all to be more like Christ. I want us to all be more effective in our walk with Him, more effective in our witness for Him. That's why we say these things. So, so I'm sharing this today because of that, only out of a heart to make sure that we all are more like Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, a passage that I've never preached out of, starting in verse 16, and we're going to go through verse 29. It's a portion of the letter that Paul wrote to the people in Corinth. Listen to this. He says, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were never too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, am I speaking as a fool? I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who's weak that I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin that I don't inwardly burn? You know, I've read this passage over the years in my growing up in church, as Brother Don said, same here. And reading this passage through my years of just reading through the Bible. And I've always, ever got to this point in, this, in, the, in the Bible, I always felt a little uncomfortable in reading this because I felt like, why is... Why is Paul bragging so much? What's his point? What's going on here? It feels like there's this boasting that's going on. I mean, if anyone, by the way, deserved to brag, he did. Think about the accomplishments that he had for the church. It's really quite a list of things to, um, to brag about, to be proud about. But I, I, I'm just wondering really what was Paul doing in this? Because really, if, we, if we're not careful, we can take this scripture... And we can say, well, well, Paul did it. Paul bragged. Paul made a list of the things that he went through. So I guess I'm allowed to do, well, to do that as well because, well, it's scriptural. But I, I, I think really what Paul was doing is he was not bragging in a boastful way. Uh, but I think what he was more doing, he was, he was making himself a mirror. He was making himself a mirror for the people of Corinth. As the people were reading this letter, he was wanting them to see a reflection of who they were being. Paul wanted them to see through his facetious boasting, they're actually foolish boasting. And if you notice at the beginning of this passage, he kept talking about, I'm not going to speak as from the Lord, I'm going to speak as a fool speaks. I'm going to speak foolishly. He used that word two, three times about being a fool in the way that he was talking. Apparently, there was a lot of boasting going on in their circles, and what Paul was doing is he was exposing it. And I hope that as you were reading 
that particular passage, he hoped that they felt as comfortable and ashamed in reading this as maybe we should be when we look at that list and go, you know, I kind of am that way, but I do it in a real way. I want people to pat me on the back. Uh, you know, we all have mirrors in our house. In fact, I would put big money on that every single one of us looked in the mirror this morning before we left the house. I would put, a lo- I would put my life savings on it, that everybody in this place looked in the mirror. You're going to check your hair, make sure that it's combed right. You're going to check your face and make sure it's put on right. You know, you're going you're gonna to check all that stuff to make sure that you're looking presentable as much as you can be before you set the foot out the door. And by the way, can you, turn, turn, can you just turn to someone and say, thank you for doing that. Just, 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 thanks. just thank the person next to you. Thank the, thank the person next to you. Yeah. And everyone that's watching from home saying, I hadn't done that yet. I'm still in my pajamas. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. But what if when you looked in that mirror that you have in your house, you know which one I'm talking about, your bathroom, wherever. What if it, when you looked in that mirror, you didn't see your face? But what if there was some supernatural thing that God did where you didn't see your face, but you saw your character? Think about that for just a moment. That's a sobering question. What if God just said, tell you what, I want you to take a look at who you really are. Would you like what you see? Or would you be like, I need some more makeup. (laughs) I need a facelift. I need a face transplant. I need some help. So let's look at a few ways the Bible describes about how we boast wrongly. There's three different things. There's a lot of different things, but I want to point out three kind of main ones. The first one is certainly about ourselves. We boast about ourselves. How often do you find yourself bragging about yourself? Like what Paul just listed, but only in a real way, not facetiously. Let me just give you a real cool scripture here that's found in Proverbs 27.2. Here's a little twist to it. It says, let someone else praise you. Hmm. Not your own mouth. Let an outsider and not your own lips. Have you ever thought that maybe too often we brag about ourselves? And here's the thing. Here's what happens. I think too often we brag about ourselves and the very thing that we hope to accomplish in our bragging, which is, by the way, making ourselves look great, does actually the opposite. What it actually does is it makes ourselves look small. Have you ever thought that maybe your bragging makes you look smaller in other people's eyes? I want to read to you a, a, a true story here. Ronald Reagan shared this story. A great president from the 1980s, So thankful for Ronald Reagan. Lord, bring someone else like that to our country to lead. This is what he said. Once I addressed a very large, distinguished audience in Mexico City. And he sat down and and sat down to and sat down to rather scattered and and unenthusiastic applause. So he was he had he had spoken, given a little scattering of applause. He sat down. And then I was somewhat embarrassed even more when the next man who spoke, who is a representative of the Mexican government speaking in Spanish, which I don't understand, was being interrupted virtually every other line with the most enthusiastic kind of applause. And so to hide my embarrassment, I started clapping before anyone else would and longer than anyone else would until our ambassador finally leaned over to me and said, I I wouldn't do that if I were you. He's interpreting your speech. Yeah. I wonder how often we foolishly applaud ourselves more loudly and more longer and longer than we ought to. I wonder. And I also wonder how it would turn out differently for the better if we didn't. Let me just encourage you, and this is going to be a really really short uh, part of the message here this morning because I don't want to belabor too much on it, but let me just encourage you, as it said in, in Proverbs, let someone else praise you. Give that a shot. Try it for a while. Let someone else praise you. It'll be all right if you let someone else praise you. You don't need to praise yourself. And even if they don't, by the way, it's still going to be all right. It's going to be all right if you don't get praised. It will be okay for you to not get that like and that stroke and that affirmation. Give it a shot. Here's the second um, wrong way that we boast. 
We boast about our accomplishments. Our accomplishments. We boast about our accomplishments. James chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 says this. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes or your arrogant uh, plans. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin to them. Okay, so boasting about our accomplishments takes the glory away from God and glorifies self. And what we just read here is the Bible even calls this evil and calls it a sin. It calls it sinful. So boasting is sinful. Church, we really need to watch ourselves with this. Jesus warned us to intentionally live out our lives, our righteous acts in secret. Not for the praise of man, but for the glory of God. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4 says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have your reward from your Father in heaven. As you're being applauded and praised, that's all you're getting. And I'm not sure I just want the reward of man. I, how many rather have the reward of God? Right? This old, this old trophy, this old thing that you're giving me is going to rust and corrupt and corrode and moth-eaten. But man, the reward of God is eternal. So when you give to the needy, or whatever you do, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. What they did back then was they actually made a big deal of it. I mean, they, you just read what they just did. I'm going to do something very generous and very noble, and I'm going to make sure all the people that play trumpets, I'm going to hire them, I'm going to let them know, and I'm going to make a big old parade of it. Guess what I did, and guess how generous that I am. They actually did that, and we think, I would never do that. Yeah, go back to the Facebook page again, and what is it that you do? Guess what I just did. Guess how wonderful I am. You've received your reward. It continues. Truly, I tell you, they've received their full reward, but when you give to the needy or whatever you do, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Here's the thing. Instead of having be, striking up the band, just do it without anybody else knowing. I chuckle sometimes when I read articles about how sports people that are wealthy, you know, football players, baseball players, uh, they give, you know, uh, they give some money or they do something kind and generous to someone in need. And some way, somehow, the news got a hold of it. How did that happen? I wonder. Because their publisher or their promoter probably said, you know, you really need to let this know because people need to know how generous and awesome you are. And I chuckle at that. They've just, it, it's kind of like, you know, I'm applauding too loud and too long for myself again. Maybe you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Maybe you truly do something without a soul knowing that you've done it, except God. And when God knows that you've done it, it says in the end here, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I would much rather have his reward than the reward of man. How about you? You know, they say that confidence is silent, but insecurities are mighty loud. You don't need to tell others the things that you've done for Christ, church. You don't need to speak it out in the streets or post it online. Your righteous deeds speak for themselves in the presence of Almighty God. God sees it. God sees it. And God is pleased. And church, that should be, and that must be enough for us. Let's let that be our goal. Here's the third thing. Here's the third way that we boast, and it's kind of an indirect way of doing it, is actually that we fish for compliments. I'm not getting enough, so I'm going to go out there and say, hey, how often do you find yourself fishing for compliments? Do I look pretty? Do I look nice? Did I do a good job today? Do you like this message? Do you like it? If you do, applaud. No, don't do it. See? But that's fishing for compliments. You see what I'm doing? I'm fishing for you. Do, do you think that I'm a great pastor? That's fishing a compliment, right? Please stroke me. Tell me how good I am. That's a fishing for compliments. I mean, think about it. Jesus never fished for compliments. I dare you to find one place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or anywhere in God's Word where Jesus said anything such as, did I do a good job healing that blind man? Did I really do a good job? I mean, really, did I do a good job? I really, I thought I did, but do you think I did? 
How about this? Did, did, did Jesus go, go to his mom and say, Mom, now, I, I, I think that wine turned out pretty good when I did the water to wine, but I mean, what do you think? Do you like it? Was it good? I mean, the rest of the wedding party, did you guys like the wine? I mean, I thought it was a pretty cool thing, but what do y'all think? He, he didn't turn around to the guys after he preached that big old Sermon on the Mount and said, boy, that Sermon on the Mount, dude, that, wasn't that... That was a good message, wasn't it? And you know what? I really, really thought those Beatitudes were like primo. I mean, I thought, what do you think about the Beatitudes, right? I mean, I would say, saving it for a big moment, and that was it. What would y'all think, huh? No. Jesus did none of those things. He, he didn't fish for compliments. He was confident in who he was, and he didn't need others to stroke him. Think about this in John chapter 13. It says, John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and, and was returning to God. And let me just stop right there. You might be look, read that saying, well, well, good for Jesus. I mean, he was God's son. I mean, sure he knew that. No, he was fully human and fully God. He had to figure this thing out as he went along too, right? And so let me just kind of rephrase that just a little bit and make it more personal. Put your name in that scripture. Can you get to that first verse again there in verse 3? Go back to that. So instead of putting Jesus knew, put your name there. So I'll say Brian knew, and you put your name there, that, that the Father had put all things under his power. As believers in Christ, is our, do you have all things under your power in Christ? The answer is yes. All authority has been given to Christ, and since Christ is living in us, we also have that authority. So we can also walk that out and say, wait a minute. I have all authority in my relationship with Christ because Christ is in me and he has all authority over Satan. So I can now say, I know that the Father, God the Father, has put all things under my power. I don't need, uh, now, that's hard for me to absorb and it's hard for me to walk out, but this just, it should still be a fact that it's, it's true. God has put all things under my power because Christ is in me. Not that I'm God, but that Christ in me can do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what the Bible says. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Let me stop right there. Have we, have, we, have we been created by God? No, my parents created me. No, God created you. God made you. God was looking for someone just like you, and you didn't exist. And so he says, I'm going to make someone that's you. And he made you. God made you. Now, as believers in Christ, one day our blessed hope is going where? Heaven. Where does God live? Heaven. So if we're from God, created by God, and we're going back to him, we can do, say the same thing as what this scripture says. Now, we're not Jesus, but we are believers in Jesus, and Jesus lives in us, and all authority has been given to us because Christ lives in us, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and God made me. God made me to worship him. He made me because he wanted a relationship with me. And I know one day when I die or he comes back and the trumpet sounds, I'm going to go back to heaven so I can say that. You can say that very thing. So we think, well, good for Jesus. He has that confidence. We can also have that confidence because of who we are in Christ. And so based on that confidence, based on everything as we put our name in there, then we move to verse 4, and then we realize based on that confidence and that assurance of who he was, he got up from the meal he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He washed the disciples' feet. You would think, wait a minute, shouldn't the disciple have done that to Jesus because Jesus was God's son and he, um, he's, he's the savior of the world and wow. Yeah, but he was modeling for them what he's calling us to do because see, we have that approach of, well, why don't someone wash my feet? Why don't someone pat me on the back? Why don't someone give me some money? Why don't do someone do something nice for me? Why don't someone, why don't someone me, me, me? No. If we have a confidence in who we are in Christ, where we know where we came from and where we know where we're going, we don't need anything else. And Jesus modeled that for us to say, tell you what, now that you know where you've come from, who you are in me, and where you're going... It's time to take off our outer robe, wrap a towel around us, let's whip out, the, let's whip out the, the little drying towels and the basin of water, and let's begin to serve. Let's begin to 
be like Christ. Let's begin to give. Let's begin to steward well the resources that he's given us of our time and talent and treasure for his glory. You see how that works? I think we're raising up a generation, and there's too much in the church today that is looking about us, what's in it for me? What can I get out of it instead of what I can do for the kingdom of God? We need to be careful. Our life is not our own. We've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in us. And he is now working through us and operating through us. He's dry, washing and drying the feet of our, of our people that he's placed around us to love and to serve and to share and to be Christ too. That's the confidence that we have, and we can walk that out in that way. Jesus came to serve and not to be served. He didn't need affirmation of anyone but his heavenly father. In fact, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus heard these words in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It was when John the Baptist baptized him. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven opened up and saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. By the way, that was a model for all of us. Jesus wants us all to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants us to be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. We see that that happening now in Jesus' life. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, to, uh, said out loud for everyone to hear, This is my Son, whom I love, in him I am well pleased. You, God's saying the same thing for you today. As you whip out the basin and the towel, and you're doing the works of Christ, this is my daughter, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Oh, man, for us to be able to walk like that. Jesus gave this parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 11 through 14. A Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people, those robbers and those evildoers and those adulterers, or even like this tax collector. God, I thank you that I'm not that way. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. I'm really something. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, this tax collector, rather than that other, that Pharisee, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. And be exalted by God. All who exalt themselves with their boasting, all exalt themselves with their bragging, all exalt themselves through their indirect way of fishing for compliments are going to be humbled. But those who humble themselves will one day be exalted. So, what's the pivot point? Those are three things, three examples of what we do. There's others, but I think you get the idea. How do we turn our hearts away from the need to boast and the need to be bragged about? And how do we walk in an authentic humility that Christ provides? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, helps us with this pivot point. It's a very familiar passage. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, listen to me. This is the Lord speaking to you this morning, okay? Don't let this just be a passage that we, that we read, but let it speak to your heart. This is an instruction to you personally. Therefore, I urge you, insert your name, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern? Boasting bragging. That's what we're talking about. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Pastor Kathy last week talked about how we just, which I appreciate, by the way, this encouraging word from her last week, get in God's word. How are you doing in getting in God's word? How are you doing? Pastor Kathy was telling me how people came up to her later and said, I really needed to be reminded of that. I needed that challenge. I needed to be reminded I need to stop neglecting God's word and get back into it. How do we renew our minds? By getting in his word and letting his word transform our stinking thinking, 
our boastful ways of being, our fleshly ways. His word will confront those things in our, in our, in our lives, what we think, because what we think we're going to do and what we do, we're going to act out and it's going to eventually be who we are as a people. So don't conform to the patterns of this world, all that look about me, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. How highly do you think of yourself today? But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. So we need to think differently. In fact, we need to boast differently. And that's what we're going to talk about here in the last little bit of this message. Instead of boasting in ourselves and instead of boasting in our accomplishments, we're instructed to boast in two very important ways that's going to flip our hearts upside down. So just take your heart right now because we all need to. Lord, I just pray that you'd help me to just take right now, just take my heart and just flip it upside down. What happens when you flip something upside down if it's a container? All the contents pour out, doesn't it? When you flip something upside down, you, the idea is to empty it all out. I'm shaking it out because sometimes those things are holding on for dear life. But I'm going to shake it out so that by the time I look in there, it's empty. And I see all around what was in that heart. And there's some things about it I don't like. There's some boasting that I just need to flick off, scrub away, bury, burn, get rid of. And then, Lord, won't you pack back in there the way that you want it to, the way that it needs to be. So as we look at these couple of ways, as we flip our hearts upside down and empty out all that fleshly boasting, it's going to help us to see more fully the reflection of Christ in the mirror of our hearts as we allow him to repack it the way that he wants to. So here's the first one. We're to boast in our weaknesses. Mm. Wow. Really? That feels very counterintuitive to this culture that we live in where we's all about, I'm great and I'm cool and I'm, I'm a bad mamma jamma. You know, I mean, it's just, I'm it. Paul goes, if you look at that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 29, he goes through this whole litany of facetious sort of boasting. I did this, I did that, boy. Yeah. But then he pivots right at the end of it in verse 30 with this simple and striking 14-word sentence that pierces as a sobering dagger into our hearts. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 11.30 says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Uh, by the way, we're not talking about false humility here. We're not talking about trying to look good by diminishing ourselves in front of people so that they can build us, build us up. I'm just no good. I'm just, oh, no, you're great. You're great. No, I'm just no good. No, really, you're great. You're great. Yeah, I know I'm great, but I just wanted to hear it. That, that goes right back to the fishing expedition from a moment ago. I'm not talking about false humility here. What we really need to do is to look into the mirror of our hearts and have a real conversation with ourselves. And I pray that the next time you look in the mirror in your home, that the Holy Spirit will remind you of this very moment and then let him say, how about looking at your character? How about looking at the areas of how you boast and brag and fish for compliments? How about instead boasting about your weaknesses? Have that real conversation with the Lord. That's a powerful conversation to have. We ask the Holy Spirit, in that conversation to convict us of the manipulative words and manipulative actions that make people think that we're all that in a bag of chips because we're not. We instead admit to ourselves and we admit to God that we're broken, that we're in need, that we're weak, that we can't and that we won't accomplish anything of worth or eternal value without Christ. We humble ourselves before a mighty God and we repent. We realize that anything that we are, we realize that anything that we ever hope to be is only because of Christ in us. We recognize 
That as it says in Proverbs 11:2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. How many wants godly wisdom? Then walk in humility. Walk in godly humility. We realize that the only way to walk in true humility is to follow the instructions given to us in Romans 13, 14. It says to clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, as we're speaking in this particular message this morning, clothe yourselves with the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh by boasting and bragging. If I could just kind of add that, because that's really the idea of it. What articles of clothing, by the way, does that include? How do you clothe yourself in Jesus? What does that look like? Colossians 3.12 has a great list. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. Clothe yourself with kindness. Clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with gentleness. Clothe yourself with patience. I kind of see the fruit of the Spirit rising up here. That's a list of the fruit of the Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ. It's the fruit of the Spirit, the personality, qualities, and nature of Jesus Christ in us. And again, it goes back to, Lord, you live in me. And I can't do this in my own strength. I don't know how to be humble, patient, kind, gentle in my own strength. It's very limited. But Lord Jesus, there's no limit to you, and I yield to you that so that I can walk in these ways, so that I can clothe myself in who you are. These pieces of Jesus' clothing will guard our hearts from boasting and bragging and thinking ourselves more highly than we ought to. All of these qualities are residing in us as followers of Jesus. We just haven't activated them fully in our lives. You may think, well, pastor, I can't do that. Sure you can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, including walking in humility. Uh, they've either been, those things are living in you right now. They're either dormant or they've been pushed aside, buried some way. It's like if you, did you get, if you got a gift card at Christmas, you know, sometimes you'll get a, a gift card, Chick-fil-A, you know, Olive Garden, or some other place. Love you, not sure what to get you, here's a gift card, right? But here's the thing, if you never go to Olive Garden and use it, you just got yourself a $25 gift card that can sit there for 10 years and it's never going to be used. By the way, 10 years from now, it's going to be not going to be worth what it is now, so you might want to use it. Price of inflation. You can't enjoy the benefits of that card unless you redeem it. There's some things in our life that we need to redeem. It's in you. It's been deposited into your life. How about redeeming humility? How about redeeming patience? How about redeeming kindness? How about redeeming compassion? You see, it's in you because Christ is in you. We all have weaknesses. We all have shortcomings and faults. None of us, not one of us is exempt. So do the opposite of what your flesh wants you to do and boast in your weaknesses. That's a very hard um, challenge to put out and for us to walk out. The next time you feel like you want to boast about how awesome you are, how about instead boasting about how awesome Christ is? If you keep, it, 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 as you boast in your weaknesses and you realize that you can't do anything except through Christ who strengthens you, it'll keep things in perspective for you. It'll remind you of your utter depravity and lack and keep your focus on Christ that is in you and your absolute need for Jesus. Our flesh doesn't want to be humble. Our flesh wants to boast. Our flesh wants to brag. Our flesh wants to get those clicks and likes and compliments. We want people to think well of us. Let me, let me just say this, and as I go to this last point here, here's a way that I can guarantee that people will think well of you. How many wants people to think well of you? I'll put my hand up. I want people to think well, well of me. Here's the way that you can guarantee that people will think well of you. You ready? Put on... Christ. Put on Christ and people will think well of you. Put on Christ. Don't put on yourself because when you put on yourself, people may or may not think so well of you. Or people may think well of you for a while until they get to know a little bit more about you and then they don't think well of you. But Jesus, when you put on Christ, he will never disappoint. That brings me to this final thought. The second thing that we're allowed to boast about based on what God's word says, we are to boast in Christ. 
boast in Christ. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 says, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have an understanding to know me, being God, and that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. If you, church, will lift Jesus up, the Bible says that he will draw everyone to himself, and when they find all that they've ever needed, they'll find it all in Jesus. But if you lift yourself up, then they'll be drawn to you, and they'll be sorely disappointed and lacking. And I say amen about me. So church, boast in Jesus. Church, what has he done for you? Church, what does Jesus mean to you? Church, how awesome is Jesus in your life? Boast of those things. Jesus will never disappoint. Jesus will never let you down. In him there is no lack. He is our all in all. Jesus is our all-sufficient one. Jesus is the King of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our guide. Jesus is our strength. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our comfort. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's our soon-coming King. Jesus is a reason for us to boast today, amen? Galatians 6.14 says, May I never boast except... In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Think about it. What he's saying was, this world has no hold on me anymore. I've been crucified to the world. I don't need it anymore. I've been crucified with Christ. So this world has no hold on me. So may I boast on nothing else except the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's nothing this world has to offer me. There's nothing that this world has to offer you that is worth giving your life for. Only Jesus is worth living and dying for. He died for me so that I can live for him. 1 Corinthians 1.31 says, Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast only in the Lord. So church today, let's boast only in Jesus not just today, not just this week, not just this year, but let's only boast about him until Jesus comes. Amen? He's the only one worth boasting about. So as I wrap this up here today, I just want to encourage you in all that you say and all that you do and all that you think to represent Christ well. Represent Christ well. Write that down if you're taking notes. Represent Christ well. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or whether indeed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So today, I ask you, I challenge you to look in the mirror of your heart. What do you see? Are your toes hurting today? Did I step on them hard? Didn't mean to hurt you. Not unless it's the pain that brings repentance do you see in that mirror today that you're a boaster even if it's a subtle you may not be fully fledged but maybe there's just a hint of it do you brag are you someone who fishes for compliments it's a real art to that Church, don't let your motivation in life be for online likes and compliments. But let your motivation be the words of God the Father. When you stand before Him one day, and we all will individually stand before Him one day, and let these words be your motivation. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys that I have prepared for you. That's the kind of like I want. How about you? This is what God is asking of us. And that's Micah 6, 8 talks about this. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly 
with your God. So today, boast in your weaknesses, boast in your your dependency on Jesus. Boast in Christ, boast in his goodness, boast in the good news that we can boast about. Now here's the thing, honor may come or it may not come in this lifetime for you. If it does, great, deflect it to the Lord. But if it doesn't, that's okay too because God sees your work and he's pleased. Your reward will be great in heaven. So I encourage you, I admonish you, stay faithful. Rewards are good and fine on this earth. Be grateful for the rewards. Acknowledge the good and perfect gift that they are, that ultimately those rewards, every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father. That bonus you got is not from your boss, it's from God the Father. Acknowledge that. But in all of these things, humility is required in the honor and the rewards that are given you. And deflecting praise, giving the praise to God, not letting it absorb, but passing it on to Him is the key to overcoming the addiction of affirmation. Would you stand with me this morning? Father God, today has been an unusual message, one that maybe some of us needed to hear and others really needed to hear. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to stop boasting and bragging, fishing for compliments. Help us instead, Lord God, to boast in our weaknesses, which tells us of our utter depravity. It reminds us of our need for you because it's only in and through you that we can do anything and be successful. Help us to boast about you, Lord Jesus. Those are the two things that we can boast about, our weaknesses and your strength in and through us and your goodness and your power and your glory. We're going to boast about you, Jesus. And Lord, help us to just look ourselves in the mirror and to make sure that the character that we see is the character, the reflection of Jesus in us and not our stinky old way of being. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us next week as we continue to learn from God's Word and apply it to our lives.